1801 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour three of the program is underway. Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff is going to join us in just a minute here. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. To the phone lines we go. Our good buddy from Daily Faceoff, NHL insider Frank Cervalli here on the Halbro Experience. What up, Frank? How are you? Pretty good, guys. How are you? We're good. Did you enjoy Better it? Better than Rasmus Anderson, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to get too to... soon. Yeah. A little bit. Do you can, want to explain? Can you guys explain can you, this? you want to explain? You explain. You brought okay, it up. Yeah, you, so, you get to explain. Yeah. Um, the Calgary Flames just announced that yesterday on his way to dinner while in Detroit, where the Flames are scheduled to face the Detroit Red Wings tonight, uh, Rasmus Anderson was on a scooter on his way to dinner and was hit by a car. Uh, he was taken to the hospital where he was observed and released. And he's doing well and is considered day to day. Now, was this, I, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but was this one of these like uh, quick rental scooters that a lot of yeah. cities have, like like Lime or Bird or whatever? Yep. So yeah. that's why I kind of, I, I said it jokingly, but I don't understand how, and obviously I'm concerned for anyone's health, but I, I've been in a bunch of cities now where you have those and yep. they're so easy to get around and they're great. But like, I can't tell you how many times I've been on them and been like quite literally scared to death because mm-hmm. you're zooming at 25 uh-huh. miles an hour. You don't have a helmet on and people treat you like a car. Yep. And I, would- I so so you'll you guys will enjoy this image. St. Louis 2019 Cup Final couldn't get an Uber. So like here's like 90 pound overweight Frank on a scooter with a suit and his backpack on. Uh-huh. <laughs> going to the game and i'm like i don't know how more people aren't dying on these things like what like why is there not a helmet connected to this and now i've seen a bunch of players in road cities um not just falling off but like using these on the regular and i'm sure we'll hear some kind of directive at some point hey be smart and get in a car. That's really funny that you you bring that. That was the St. Louis for the Stanley Cup final was the was the first time I ever used one of those scooters too. I was there as a fan, so it was more dangerous because I was not sober. Yeah. But <laughs> cruising around on one of those things, I still had the thought of like, this is dangerous. Yeah, what's I, going on here? I, so oddly enough, with Calgary, <laughs> I was in Calgary the summer that um, Bird scooters made their debut in the city. And I got there about three weeks after they had kind of been in circulation. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who I was staying with said, uh, ER visits have gone up <laughs> approximately 900% since these I things bet. hit the road. And yeah, because like you said, no helmet, uh, no real rules on how scooters are supposed to be treated mm-hmm. in a pedestrian sense or in a traffic sense. So it was this almost sort of, oh, we'll just take the chance to see what happens. And what happens is you often end up getting hurt. So, yeah, the Rasmus Anderson thing. I know you didn't want to, like, make light of the situation, but it is something where there's a bigger story here for sure, especially when you're trying to get around cities that you don't have a car in, and that's a lot of NHLers' existence. Well, and a city you don't know, for that matter. Good point. Like, potholes, cracks in sidewalks, like, those things pop up out of nowhere, and you're hitting 25 miles an hour – and there's traffic like 
it's it spells trouble and i'd imagine that you're gonna see a pretty big crackdown now from teams just directing their players look we know you want to get around either walk or take a car like no one needs this to think about frank the nhlpa marty walsh is this official when will it be official and when marty walsh is uh announced as the new uh chief of the nhlpa what are the first things that he's gonna have to work on well it is officially unofficial like it's happening um he has i believe notified his superiors within the u.s government as the sitting secretary of labor that he is going to be leaving his post in short order he's been negotiating a contract with the nhlpa behind the scenes for the last number of days uh the Players executive board essentially gave him the green light to do so after their meeting on Friday in Miami, which he joined by Zoom. Uh, I'm told that he's personally met with a number of players on the NHLPA selection committee over the last number of weeks to introduce himself and get moving. And the biggest thing on his agenda, first off, as a sort of untraditional or non-traditional hire, uh, it's understanding the lay of the land, how this union works, um, how the CBA operates, and really coming to grips and grappling with what's one of the most apathetic unions you could probably be head of. And that's going to be a challenge in its own right. But on the docket in short order is a negotiation with the NHL for the salary cap for next season, which the players obviously are are hunting for that to go up. But I think what's really interesting is I've talked to a number of people on the league side that run teams where they're saying, Hey, my owner is fired up. He wants to, he wants to see this cap get moving. We need more transactions. We need more flexibility and a fourth straight year of a frozen or flat salary cap isn't going to work for anyone. So that's first up and it's, it's going to be a really interesting and telling introduction for marty walsh to the hockey world of how does he handle this what will come to pass by june and the draft is that also not a classic example of how the nhlpa as a union can be divided because it's you know correct me if i'm wrong here it's not all the players that want the cap to go up artificially if you want to call it that it's the guys that are free agents. The guys that actually have contracts probably don't want the salary cap to go to go up that much because then they lose out to escrow. Well, escrow is actually locked in according to the CBA, so it can't increase based on the mechanisms that are in place. Maybe those also get renegotiated, mm-hmm. but that's why I think this is one of those years that it's beneficial for everyone for it to go up, okay. not just the free agents. So there's no more of that push and pull that exists. In fact, if you take a look at some of the recent contracts that have been negotiated, um, they also take advantage of that uh, idea in structure of the escrow being locked in because they've taken some of the most money in the deal in the first few years of the deal. So uh, I think Dylan Strom is the latest example. Um, you look, his first two years of the deal are six and a half and six on a contract that's five times five. So teams are, excuse me, agents and players are well aware of this escrow being locked in and there's really no downside to the cap increasing. And, and also wanted to, you know, sort of throw a caveat in there too. There's, it, it wouldn't be artificial. 
like the cap, they're very close to paying off this escrow debt. I'm told it's somewhere between 50 and $100 million that's going to remain at the end of this year uh, based on revenue. And it started at 1.1 or 1.2 billion. So they've paid a huge majority of it off. And now when that happens, then the cap can actually go up in, in real terms. What are some of the other issues internally in the NHLPA? I think really part of it is trying to maximize revenue. And here's where I think the players came out on the decision to go with Marty Walsh, who is obviously has a real union background being president of the Boston building and trades council. Uh, he was president of his local laborers union as, uh, in his twenties, uh, someone that sort of rose to stardom politically held that job while he was elected to the Massachusetts state legislature and is someone that is an, is non-traditional. He's also not a lawyer. Um, so rather like this is the course that they were faced with was do we take a more traditional hockey guy and try and uh build our revenue stream through name image and likeness and and licensing deals which i think is something that um i was told former canucks gm mike gillis was championing in his campaign to be the next executive director or are we better suited as a union you know, instead of a, a name, image, and likeness deal that can get us 15 or $20 million, are we better off trying to claw back one percentage of hockey-related revenue, which could be worth in itself $35 million as a one percentage point? So they're thinking about it in, in, a, in a grand sort of 30,000-foot view of we're trying to get our best, you know, total dollars in our pocket at the end of the day and and that's why they said it's more important for us on the labor and negotiating front than to try and generate new outside revenue and business. A uh, couple of things here. One, uh, first off, great job on uh, kind of hashing out and reporting this story because when I got out there, I did notice that you kind of crossed the aisle. You got you had the political spectrum weighing in like, wow, like this is big news. And we had like the lead writers from Politico <laughs> in the comment section being like, yeah, of course it was daily face-off that was going to break this massive. Uh, that US was actually my story. favorite part. Cause yeah. I got some tweet from someone that was like, can you believe we got scooped by some hockey blog? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. I guess like, all right. No, that was, so that was good. And then yeah, with we it, do real work and everything here at this hockey blog. I, I know like yeah. we don't sit in our basement and suck our thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and, and the best part is, is that there was a lot of information beyond the actual news that Walsh was going to be the guy. Now, uh, can you kind of lay this part out to us? Because I've got a very basic understanding, but the group that the NHLPA used to do the vetting process for the candidates, did they somehow overlook the fact that Marty Walsh has a history with Jeremy Jacobs? I don't know if they necessarily overlooked it as much as they just maybe weren't aware of it. Um, it's hard to say with any absolute certainty, but I was told that the search firm that ran this executive search Russell Reynolds had really done a deep dive on all of the candidates. A lot of it was self-reporting. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, checking uh, references and things like that. But when it came to Marty Walsh, who entered this uh, arena really late, he 
they had made multiple attempts to try and bring him in early in the process, like going back to July and, and September and October. And, and I think the three or four times I was told that they asked about him, they were rebuffed and they were like, yeah, just not interested. And what happened was I was told at least that he was trying to figure out his next post in the U S government. There's a lot of shift that happens uh, right after the midterm elections typically and he was in the running to be chief of staff to President Biden, which is the most powerful position, arguably, in politics. Um, the, the chief of staff, depending on who you talk to, is actually more powerful than the president. He's a kingmaker. And when he did not get that post, I, I was told that there was a call made, don't know from who, to the search firm saying, hey, Marty Walsh may have had a change in circumstance. You should check back in with him. And then once that happened, it moved really quickly from there. And my assumption is that Russell Reynolds was like, this is the guy. And then the players met with him and they were like, yes, this is the guy. And they just probably assumed that with all the vetting process that you go through to be confirmed by the Senate as the Secretary of Labor, that there's not a lot of stones that haven't been unturned to this point. And, you know, you end up with a circumstance like that where the political donations and campaign donations are connected and it probably looks less than savory, but optic, it's bad look optically, but I would say in reality, it's probably not a huge difference maker because wealthy families all over the country, including NHL owners and where, whatever city you're in, you're supporting your local politicians as he was when he was Boston mayor yep. to, you know, essentially carry favor. That's how the political game works in the U S and to think that the Jacobs family and by the way, Fenway sports group and their owners who own the penguins, they were involved in donating to his campaign. So Optically, not a great look, but I think in reality, probably not a big deal. Well, yeah, it's important to bring up, like, this is politics in a nutshell, right? Like, there were probably many political contributions that the Jacobs family had given out to a number of politicians. But you it, just you sorry? sprinkle the infield when you're that rich. Like, you, right. just, you donate to every campaign. You're like, hopefully someone wins and they take care of me. Yeah, you're like, hey, even the Libertarian Party, here's some money for you guys. God bless. Have a good time. But, yeah, no, I think the interesting thing here is that this is the great divide between the sporting realm and then the political realm. I mean, I almost feel like we have to take a second to be like, can we just all understand that someone who might have been in the running for one of the most powerful positions in U.S. politics is now going to run the NHL. Yeah, a crazy turn of events here. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like poor Mike Gillis, who probably put forth a good PowerPoint presentation and <laughs> thought he was a shoe in for the job. Then he's like, wait he, a minute. He was like, I think he was the runner up. I don't yeah. know for sure. I think there were other people in the mix. They had interviewed like untold tens of candidates, Disney executives and major CEOs of corporations that they had gone through. And Mike Gillis was there until the bitter end. Uh, apparently all, all reports that I received on Gillis were promising in terms of the, the effort that he put forth to, to win the job. And as I reported in the story, I think he'll actually be sticking around for a bit uh, in his role as NHLPA consultant. That's the next interesting sort of you know um inflection point for marty walsh as head of the union is going to be who stays and who goes maybe he maybe once he gets his feet wet maybe gillis can be the chief of staff and the kingmaker within the nhlpa because they say the chief of staff of the nhlpa is actually more powerful than the chief of the nhl or well, gillis, well, could, be, gillis could be the designated case, that would survivor be ron hainsey oh okay 
Okay, handsome, handsome Ron Hainsey, according to Mike Halford. Long story, not going to get into it. Uh, the trade deadline, March 3rd, so less than a month away. Uh, now that Horvat is with the Islanders and he's locked up and there's going to be no more talk about trading for Bo Horvat, who is the new number one on your trade target list? Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks. Ah, yes. Uh, he's had a monster year has a monster contract extension coming his way, bigger than Bo Horvat's. And that's a complicating factor when you consider the qualifying offer that he's due. It, you know, in some ways, it's really going to hamper the return for the Sharks. But I have no doubt that the number of teams that are interested and view him as the long-term solution for them on their right wing, the Rangers, the Devils, teams like that, uh, they're all going to be in the mix. And he's... He's certainly a really intriguing player already knocking on the door of 40 goals this year. Um, Dylan Larkin, the Canucks are going to see the Detroit Red Wings a couple of times in the next little while. They play them on Saturday in Detroit, and then they come home to play them at Rogers Arena. What is going on with Dylan Larkin? He's a pending unrestricted free agent. He's in the same situation Horvat was before he was traded to the Islanders. Well, what's going on is... Dylan Larkin was the second most happy person when Bo Horvat signed his deal only to Horvat himself because that was a market setting deal for Larkin. They're very comparable players. Uh, they're, you know, same age, hitting free agency at the same time, play the same position. And I made this point on my pod the other day, and I had some guy that was taking a run at me on social media when I said, Dylan Larkin is an 80 point player in this league. And they were like, oh, like prove it. He's never hit 80 points. And I just looked at a few recent seasons and said, look, this is his pace over a full 82 games. And he's played 70-some games. It's not like he played 40. And so the argument that I made was the Larkin camp had been keeping a really close eye on what happens with Horvat because they already thought that they were north of wherever Horvat landed. And so now that he's at 8-5 on an eight-year deal... I believe that pretty comfortably places Larkin in the nines, nine five most likely, mm -hmm. based on that higher offensive ceiling and upside that Horvat until this season hadn't really even shown. Bo Horvat's best career season prior to this year is a 63 point pace over an 82 game season. Larkin is 76, 79, and 80. I mean, he's, he's, had a, had a higher number and I don't think you can ding him for any handful of games missed in any season it's not like he's someone that's frequently injured and he's done it on some really bad Red Wings teams mm -hmm. so he's in a spot to cash in the problem is the Red Wings are playing hardball Steve Iserman um, depending on who you talk to his nickname is the Prince of Darkness like he's not <laughs> afraid to go to some dark places in order to make this happen and what he's betting on is that whatever the number ends up being that is at his ceiling and his limit that he's not going to go over as he digs a trench is Dylan Larkin's never played outside of Michigan his whole life. Minor hockey, U.S. National Development Program, University of Michigan, NHL. He's never, he's never left. Do you really want to leave now for four or six million dollars? Easy for us to say because we're like, oh, my God, I've never seen four or six million dollars. But when you are going to earn a hundred million in your career, what is four or six million? It's like all the changes is the size of the boat you can buy. 
Right. I do and wonder that's the though. Bet that the Red Wings are making. I do wonder though. I mean, I I think that's a great point, and uh, I'm sure Steve Eiserman knows what Dylan Larkin really wants to do. But it was easier. I think everyone knows no, what Dylan Larkin wants to do. Well, he wants to stay. Yeah, I, I. But I do think it was probably easier for Eiserman to, um, you know, draw that hard line in the sand in Tampa Bay than it will be in Detroit because Tampa Bay has got this, the, the state income tax advantage. They also had, you know, a good team that they could say like, listen guys, like buy in here, take a little less than you might get on for the market. And like, we can do some special things here. And they did do some special things. Can he do that in Detroit? That's a really important point and question. Cause he's lost his negotiating power with that, loss of the state income tax advantage and he's now having to deal with the pain that so many other gms in the league have been dealing with for years outside of florida or nevada or texas so you you might look at this from afar and say why would steve eiserman play hardball for a team that lacks centers has a franchise center and a captain but the reason why he has to is because you're going to have to pay in pretty short order Mo Sider. You're going to have to pay Lucas Raymond. And Larkin's obviously getting a bump. Then after that, shortly thereafter, it'll be Philip Aronik. And he's, you know, 33 points in 49 games as a defenseman. He's on track for 50-plus points. Like, you've got guys you need to pay, and you need to – basically be thinking four years down the road when you're looking at this Larkin deal that it's not really just about right now. Frank, uh, Matt Dumba in Minnesota, Mike and I are trying to get our heads wrapped around the situation there because we hear that this guy is, uh, I mean, he's on your trade targets list. I think he's 12 or 13 on your list. And I know he's been a healthy scratch a couple of times, but I also looked at his game log from yesterday in Dallas and he played almost 24 minutes. So this does not seem to me like a guy that the Wild could just easily be like, all right, see you later. We, we, don't, we don't need you anymore. Like if, if a defenseman is playing 24 minutes, isn't he an important part of that team? What is going on with Matt Dumba right now? Because this is a name that we would often hear in rumors involving Brock Besser. Well, his, his name is, it feels like it's been out there the last handful of years, unfortunately, for Matt Dumba to deal with that. Um, I think the truth is you hit it right on the head that this is not an easy player to trade. And I don't think that they've ever said we're definitely moving this guy. I think the real complicating factor for Minnesota is they're on the fringe of the playoffs right now. They've had a strong season at varying points. They also kind of started pretty slowly. And then after the Reeves trade in late November really took off and they're kind of back to being a middling average team again. And so the big question that you, if you're Bill Guerin, their GM, you have to ask yourself is if we get in, how much damage are we going to do? How much are we capable of? And do I want to limit the potential success of our team to get a return that's probably not going to be, you know, one that knocks your socks off anyway, given the limitations that are in Dumba's game? So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And with 22 days left until the deadline, they're one team that has a lot to sort out. The Calgary Flames are another. How big of a buyer are you going to be? And if you're Minnesota, you're saying to yourself, well, should I be in a spot where I'm 
adding and subtracting sort of at the same time, like take the space that I get from Dumba and the potential assets to then go add. Either way, what's really clear is Dumba's not coming back. The Boldy extension spelled the end of that. It's just, can you try and have it both ways, improve your team and, uh, you know, either keep him or move him. It's, it's not an easy situation. Frank, great stuff today, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. As always, enjoy uh, the rest of the week and the weekend. We'll do this again next Thursday. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. That's Frank Sarelli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What are you? The dogs are, dogs are chuckling back there. It's okay. You can say it out loud, even if it's embarrassing. No, this isn't something we can play on air. Ah, all right. Sorry. No, it's okay. You know what? That just adds intrigue and drama. People want to know. They'll be listening even more. Uh, coming up on the show, other side, what we learns. Uh, I've got one. Do you have one? Uh, I could come up with one, but I want more into the Dunbar Lumber text line for Halford not to read yeah. and for only me to flag. So yes. text in your what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I have a big breaking one, which I'll save for the next segment. I know you do. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Get your What We Learns in. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. Well, that's a talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. 8.32 on a Thursday, Halford Brough, Sportsnet 650. This isn't the Faber song, is it? No. A totally different flugelhorn song. The Faber flugelhorn. How much flugelhorn music do we have? About 17 hours. A lot. <laughs> you want to one of those eight CD box sets. The box is in the shape of a flugelhorn. It goes on like this. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I don't even know what a flugelhorn looks like. I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a horn big, with a, Chuck Mangione plays. It's a big trumpet. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a horn that's got flugel. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. <laughs> Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. <laughs> uh, hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. I assume the music in the waiting room at Campbell and Pound is ex- this exact music right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Campbell and Pound real estate appraisers. Trust their expertise. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com. <laughs> Our show sounds like a 1970s detective show, basically. <laughs> but like a, a slow-paced, low-stakes <laughs> detective yeah, show. Low-stakes, yeah. yeah. Where is that cat anyway? <laughs> Jason, you look like you haven't slept in 14 hours. <laughs> yeah, that cat has gone away from me. What's he been investigating? <laughs> Corporate fraud. <laughs> Someone stole from the petty cash box again. Uh, all right, focus. Focus. We wanted to be focused in this segment, what we learned so much so that at the break, Jason was barking out orders. We're just going to do one what we learned from our side of the table, and it's going to come courtesy of the A-Dog, 
Andy Cole. Andy, what did you learn? I learned via media.nhl.com. This uh, PR announcement just came out about 20 minutes ago. Bruce Boudreau is returning to the NHL Network as a studio analyst. The former Canucks head coach making his 2020 de- uh, 2023 debut today, February 9th, on NHL Tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So no coincidence. No coincidence that his debut, re-debut, on NHL Network on television coincides with a Canucks game. Mm-hmm. He's going live at 5 o'clock. Canucks Islanders go live at 4.30. Mm-hmm. I was more curious about happen. how Andy uh, read out the URL of the, the website was, instead yeah. of just being like, from the NHL's media website. How did you do it again? Media.nhl.com. Yeah. yeah okay. I, just, I want to be specific. Sounds like a in nerd case, in like 1994 or something. Yeah. In case the... people want to research it themselves. <laughs> So when do you think here's the here's the question that everyone in Vancouver really wants to know is like when is Bruce gonna really spill it? I think is uh isn't his like uh what's it called? The, Cameo? No, the uh when you're not allowed to say mean things about someone. Oh non disclosure. Yeah, that, that's the yeah. one. <laughs> also not allowed the, to say mean things. The non mean things <laughs> yeah. clause. Yeah. <laughs> the non mean things clause. I Did you it, go to Hollywood <laughs> upstairs law school? Yeah. I signed one of those U M T A things. <laughs> I think it, That's I, why you're the judge and I'm the law talking guy. I think it ends in July if I, I remember call reading for a that. bad court so thingy. Anytime after July first, I think it's good to go. Um I wonder if you could get him to say something good via cameo right now. Didn't you play the audio from one the other day? Yeah, he said my my opinion doesn't really matter anymore. Or my advice. My advice. My, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we still love the gossip, Bruce. Yeah, like you. I mean, here's the thing. Everyone on the planet knows why Bruce Boudreaux is going back on TV, and it's not for his analysis of what's going on. Yeah, Greg just made the money sign with his fingers. That too. No, I'm. I, Everyone wants to know about the Vancouver situation. Mm-hmm. Everybody. That was a massive story in hockey. So, I mean, I, he's got to talk about it in some way, shape, or form. Why didn't mm-hmm. you go to TNT? Replace Rick Tockett. I know. That would have been... <laughs> oh, Seamless yeah? transition. Yeah. Well, he had a pre-existing relationship with NHL Network. Remember, like, mm-hmm. the day after he was fired, he was on the radio with, I think it was Scott Laughlin and... Uh, what's it was Gord Stellick. Gord Stellick, Yeah. So, like, there was obviously a connection there and an inevitability that he would go back. But I'll be very – I mean, I would watch if – I don't even know if we get NHL network access. Though. Well, I, I mean, I'd watch it to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, I, I want to know how he really felt. I mean, I think I know, but I really want to know. Uh, let's give yeah. us a moocow on that. Uh, unsigned what we learned, according to The Athletic – Minnesota has the number one prospect system. Call it the Judd Bracket effect. Yeah, or also, you know, they draft lots of players and they get additional first-round picks. In the last draft, they had um, an extra first and and, and an extra second-round pick. In the draft before, they had an extra first. In the draft, you know, before that, it was an extra second. So when – it's funny. It's Guys, just bear with me here. What's up? Because I'm going to talk something out. Okay. When you add draft picks as opposed to trading them away, Mm -hmm. do you often get a better prospect pool? There seems to be a correlation there. Hmm. I mean, who's to say? 
Right. Okay. Yeah. There's no evidence. I was just I, I was kind of just workshopping that. There's right? no there's no evidence of this aside from all of the glaring evidence that's in your face. Right. But y- you know, it's still one of those things. Who knows, right? Who yeah. knows? It but, might just be the Judd Brackett effect. I saw some people pushing back on this that Brackett hasn't been in Minnesota long enough to have truly impacted this prospect pool to vault it and elevate it to number one. But I'll tell you what, he hasn't heard it. Well, they have one of the best goalie prospects. Yes, yeah, Wallstead is. Yeah. If you're a, in a fantasy keeper league, pick him up because he is going to be good. Well, the thing with the Wild, too, is I think they realize, like, we better get some cheap labor because we've got these dead cap hits of Parise and Suter, and they've got a couple more years of that. I mean, the combined cap hit of that for, I think, next season and the season after that is $14 million. So you better get the young cheap labor Windsor one. in Coquitlam See, what we I learned I try to do with what we learned I get I get ignored Let's get steamrolled get Windsor steamrolled. in Coquitlam what we learned NBA trade deadline is so much more entertaining and intriguing than NHL the lack of drama from the NHL is what makes fans turn away from the growth of the league as it does not garner as much attention I'm of two minds on this one it's a fool's errand to try and hold yourself up to the NBA because there's the, the leagues are just too fundamentally different players impacting individual um, mm-hmm. trajectories. Like I there are also right. people, uh, NBA fans that'd be like, Hey, can we get a little more stability? Yeah. So what Russell Westbrook is, remember when he signed that mega deal back in 2017, <laughs> he signed a mega deal. I think it was 205 million over five years. And that was with OKC, right? He, yeah. And he's played for five different teams since signing that right. deal. Because he just got traded again. <laughs> so there is something to be said for, is it a little bit too much? At the same time, uh, it is, you have to look at it and be jealous of right. what's going on. Especially if you work in the industry. And no one really cares about that. But I've maintained for the longest time that there are way too many factors in the NHL that prevent the thing that fans love most. Trade rumors, trade rumblings, players moving. That's excitement. And and some things are the advantage for the players, like the longer-term contracts, like Horvat just signed an eight-year deal. You can't do that in the NBA. And other things are in favor of the owners, and that is the hardest of the hard salary caps. When, When one of the general managers making the trades comes out and jokingly but not jokingly says that the contract he just gave a player was too long and for too much money, that should raise a couple of red flags. I'm just throwing that out there. Especially the too long part. Yeah. You know? It's eight years. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff can happen in eight years. I would love for them to cut down the contract length. Two not e- that, not because I'm like a union buster or yeah, anything right. <laughs> like that. I, I mean, I'd like there to be a, a luxury tax. Although that, I'm sure we'd get very confused with how it all works. Like, I still don't understand the NFL salary cap. It's too confusing. There needs yeah. to be a way to go over, though, just by a little bit. Like, yeah. this, this is what we're saying. General we're in- rule, like, if you can go over by some and pay a penalty to do it, yes. that's fine. Okay. Uh, I got one from C in the Mish. I bet that's Mission, right? I hope I didn't. I'm not talking. I don't code. think it's Michigan, if that's where you're wondering. He could be. We have a very diverse listenership. It's true. Uh, what we learned... What I learned, and he learned it from Frank Saravelli, is that Mike Gillis was with one, one game of being the head of the PA and then lost to a strong man from Boston. Yeah, he was like, did I just did <laughs> I just lose enough. out to the mayor of I Boston? Even, I didn't even put that together. Boston, come on. I didn't even put that together. That is a great tag. So um, He's like, I hate this effing city. Exactly. It's <laughs> terrible. It's ruined my, he's ruined my life. Um because yesterday we jokingly referred to him as like the new Pierre Maguire. Like he's just the runner up for all these jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And this one in particular, though, it definitely sounds like he put his best foot forward 
And everyone was like, yep, I like him as a candidate. And then something just completely out of the ordinary stepped in. I imagine, yeah. if, imagine if you were trying to cast a small budget movie and you pick your lead and then Hugh Jackman shows up and he's like, <laughs> I'd like to play the lead in your movie. You're going to take Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. I would imagine, nine times out of ten. Especially Why did you pick Hugh Jackman? It by came, the way. Well, because uh, Wish mentioned him oh, the other day, him. and oh. I, I do love I do love him, and he's got that syrupy Australian accent. No, it's because Wish brought him up. Remember how he was? He's almost, the only actor you know, isn't he? He's going to play John Scott. He's the Wolverine. All oh, right, okay. Uh, Hugh Jackman's the Wolverman, right? Wolver, yes. Yeah. He's not a gold English guy. We know that much. No, Wolverman. <laughs> a yeah. big golden English Wolverman. guy. Wolverman. Yeah. yeah, he got bit by a Wolverine and then became Wolverman. That's how the the, the comic book. Yes, yeah. Wolverman. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yep. Good. Uh, this is from Brian and East Van. What we learned is that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar only scored one three-pointer in his career and still managed to score 38,387 points. Yeah. That is a pretty amazing stat. Yeah, it was one skyhook at a time <laughs> Just for, just, for yeah. Kareem. Do you understand that at its time, the skyhook was the most revolutionary and unstoppable move in basketball? When I first started watching basketball, it was a lot of Sonics versus Lakers. Mm-hmm. They would play all the time, and it was like, there's Kareem down low. And you know when that skyhook is on, it's impossible to stop. It and it was. It was impossible. He to would stop. just post up down low. He'd get the ball. He'd be like, "All right, I'm going to do the skyhook now." I mean, eventually, yeah, eventually they figured it out. <laughs> he started but, saying it too. But yeah, yeah he was, really. <laughs> you can see the player's take... mouthing. Oh no! <laughs> By the way, that's not the most incredible stat with Kareem. The most incredible stat is that he won the NBA Finals MVP in 1971 and then again in 1985 that's awesome how do you do that Mm -hmm. how do you go 14 years between winning finals mvp it's crazy minor matt and abbotsford what we learned i learned that rick talkett hurt a dog's feelings yes he did because he 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 criticized kuzmenko uh (laughs) i liked that he was just like he was asked about kuzmenko he's like yeah he didn't play well he was just like spinning everywhere yeah. I was like, are you sure that wasn't Garland? Talking just hates guys when he, they spin. Just, but, you seem glaring from yeah, the You just hear him like, stop spinning around out there. <laughs> but I did notice that Garland was spinning like a top last night. He was all over the place with his spins. Giuseppe had some spins down low, too. That was a really good shift from the fourth line at one point. Maybe we, those guys are on the list of five. The five guys that talk well, in If you spin, you're yeah. out. If anyone does a uh, 360 tonight, <laughs> I am going to lose it. Um, I noticed the, the sports at pregame show, like they're, <laughs> they're going around the panel and all the guys are like picking who to watch tonight. Yeah. And everyone was picking, obviously, like the superstars, right? Like the obvious names. And then, like, was, I think it was Anthony Stewart. He's like, I'm going to watch Phil Digiuseppe. <laughs> you're the only one that's doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think because he used to play for the Rangers. Yes. He did have a little extra pep in his step. He did. Um, on the subject of a dog, since you're talking right now, I saw that there was a, what we learned about the breakfast cereal restaurant. And did you see this? In, yes. In, in Spain? Yes. You talked about your idea for a breakfast restaurant, mm-hmm. which was griddle me this. <laughs> yes. Griddle me this. Which is great. <laughs> yeah, right? it is. Um, this is a guy who has taken a cereal restaurant with the caveat that you can order Single bowls of any cereal that you want. Like that's the entire premise of the There's restaurant. lots of places like that. I don't think there is. There are. Do we know of yeah, I, there I are. don't. There are places. There, a restaurant where the soul. It's not the, a restaurant. It's called a hotel. Often, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. Often, no, no, no. T- there, there are places in malls that have it. I've seen I've them I've never seen this before. Okay, I didn't well, even I know about this. But did you know about this before? As no. a cereal enthusiast? No. Yeah. 
I feel like you would be more in touch with this than Jason. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Th- I mean, I, I remember- Andy so- most, mostly talks serial on like message boards and <laughs> yeah. Reddit. I, I, I like it in theory more than in practice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a tough one to stock because yeah. if you've got a really rare cereal that nobody orders, but you have to have it on hand. I remember, but- I remember people t- mentioning it before, but I, yeah, I've never actually seen a place that the entire premise of the restaurant is you can order any bowl of cereal. Well, it's not a restaurant. They're not like, welcome, sit over here, I sir. Hope it's you- like. It should be. <laughs> it's kind of like a. It's 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 more like a like a f- uh, food, food court type of thing. Yeah. This is you a know? restaurant, though. They have maitre d's. Yeah. Well, what, you, like, I think you gotta, can I see a wine list? Yeah, you got to like, class it up. Thing? No, a milk should, a milk list. A milk list. Yeah. <laughs> a milk list. <laughs> Every yes. percentage is there. Yeah. You, can, you can have full fat. Class cream it up. Go all the way. Two percent for yeah. me, please. You know you get what like pairs a, well with this bowl of cornflakes. There's thirty three percent whipping cream, sir. By the way, I put that on cereal before. Not bad. Whipped cream? 33%. It is like thick. Well, that goes on. That's good with anything. But you don't yeah. whip the cream. I know. Yeah. It's just, it's so like dense and syrupy. Why would you want it's that? It's not syrupy. It's thick. <laughs> it's not syrupy. It sounds awful. Why did, and why and did whipping you Whipping cream or whipped cream is not syrupy. Why did you it's do this? not whipped. Were you just it's out of it know, and like I, I in know, your fridge? Who it's would describe like, it as syrupy? I would. It's like thick, like syrup when you pour it out of the bottle. What what circumstance led you to this? Does it? Stick I was to out you? of regular milk. <laughs> yes, I was going to say. Yeah, it had to be the. Reason. I was like whipped cream. Okay, okay you flag something. I'm going to do one right now. I Nathan, just did one. You cut me off. Like Nathan, a jerk. Nathan and Poco. What we learned. Speaking of Garland, he's got five points in five games since the coaching change. The reclamation is real. Well, I hope. I hope they can. Uh, if they're going to trade Garland. I hope they don't have to retain on this guy. When, when they first got him, which was not long ago, they're like one of the good things about Garland is his contract. He's still young. Well, they He's signed him to the contract, or they acquired him, and then he was. Uh, the other part of this is like not only the contract, but he was the, kind of the centerpiece of the deal there. Like, yeah, right. we got yeah they got OEL, but Garland was the real prize because mm-hmm. he had played so well. Yeah, and then there was talk. talk of buying him out. I'm like this is this is this is crazy that it's gotten to this point. He has looked better, I'll say that. And he did play his best hockey under Tockett, so maybe there's something there. Uh, here's one from Colin and Tawasson. Hashtag WWL. What we learned. I missed this. Bo Bichette signed a three-year deal with the Blue Jays. Laddie, mm-hmm. will the Jays finally get through a playoff round this year? I missed the Bichette deal. Yeah, they avoided arbitration, which is good. always a good thing. So they they, they avoided it with uh, Danny Jansen too, right? With everyone. Yeah. He was the only guy that they were going to go to arbitration. The Halbro bump. Danny Jansen came on our show and then avoided arbitration a short while after. I guess that extends over to Bo Bichette as well. How excited are you for the Blue Jays season? Pretty stoked. I, I think they're a much improved team. I think they've definitely filled the gaps, that the areas that they needed improvement. Uh, it hurts to lose Teoscar and, and Lourdes from the, from the outfield, but hard to argue with what they've brought back. In Where return. will they be better? Uh, the pitching depth, I think, is is much better than it was. If they mm-hmm. if they end up getting Ryu back at any point, I think that's just an added bonus. So I think I think that's the big thing for me is just they've shored up the bullpen. That was probably the biggest issue last year was maybe the offensive consistency, but also the bullpen wasn't the greatest. So I think that's for me. It's it's a great starting I actually, rotation. I actually think they're going to be better in the outfield. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, I'm not a huge Kiermaier guy, but it, I like him. It all depends on the role that they put these guys in, and I think they they just have so many options now that it's sort of a big difference from last year, where they were just kind of scrounging for putting guys in different roles, and now it's like, okay, we have three different guys who could do this job. And I like that nice. they brought the fence in for Varsho. Yeah. Like, just go hit some dingers, bud. Like, we brought the fence yeah. in like 30 feet. I'm interested to see what the scores are going to be. It's going to be a much more offensive environment in that in that building. Unsigned, what we learned. Let Russ cook. 
the books with his charity. Ba-boom. It just doesn't stop with him, does it? Yeah, I guess USA Today looked into Russ's charity. The name of the charity is uh, escaping me right now. By the way, the better line is let Russ crook. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess it's an issue that I think a a lot of people bring up with charities, and that is the fact that it spends so much on administration and salaries, and everyone's like, uh, what's the bottom line here? How much are you giving to, you know, charity? There are some executives uh, making quite a bit of money, and it doesn't sound like this was a big enough charity to have so many people making six figures. And it cost nearly a million dollars just to run the golf event. I think it was 800000 in overhead costs to run the golf event right. to raise money for charity. So what was the, the total figure? It was like $78,000 that went it, to It was charity. called the Why Not You Foundation. Yeah. Why Not You, why not you can, can be rich. Why, why Not You. <laughs> why Not You because we ran out of money. We can't give you Ooh. any now. That's it. So, But, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, obviously, it's pile on Russell Wilson season. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think you bring up an important point to bring in all of this. It's like there's a lot of charities, I'm air quoting, that – have similar issues at the yeah. end, at the bottom line because it does cost money to run them, but for some it costs more than others. Right. Some maybe don't spend eight hundred thousand dollars to run a golf tournament; they spend four hundred. I wonder how much more there people are going to look into that charity though. It's just one more thing. Well, that now, they will yeah. right? Like what I'd want to know is okay, um, who was working for the charity? Did they have a relationship with Russ or Ciara? Right, right. and was the were those were those jobs basically given to them? I'm not saying they are. I just want to know, like, who who are these people making good money, uh, maybe inflated salaries to work at these jobs, and was there any personal connection? Because if there was, then that's an ethical issue. Okay, we got two minutes left, so I did want to take a moment to reference a bunch of what we learned, including one from Dr. Terry in Sydney, Surrey Ryan, and a bunch of you as well, who have pointed out that uh, a couple of years ago on this very day, uh, 1040 was shut down. We got the chop and we were out of jobs. Well, you get a moment's notice. You all heard it happen. You all saw it play out in real time. Yes, this is actual a proper application of real time. And, um, you know, referencing good riddance and everything else. Uh, it was a not great day. But the only thing I really remember is I felt like what we were doing was so much fun and getting to come in and talk in the mornings and talk about sports and have a laugh and everything. And it just ended. And I wasn't really sure that we were ever going to get to do it again because I felt like we had only had a short window to actually come back and do it. So the, the, the fact that we're able to do it now mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. I really do love doing this every morning and hanging out with the dogs and to a lesser degree you. And yeah. then I think... Feel the same way. Right. But it, the, the fact that so many people are genuinely sharing with us that it's great that this is back and we're able to do it again and we've survived all this other weird nonsense that this industry throws at us. I'm very appreciative of all the listeners, even though I don't show it every single day. Well said for once. Yeah, thanks. That's not bad. Anyway, we got to go now. There's some other programming. Uh, But for today, we're gone. Tomorrow, we're back. Tom Gillardi's on the program tomorrow. It's Ask Us Anything Friday, and we're giving away Canucks tickets. That's a big day. But now we got to go. Signing off. I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.